the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zeggers uh, coming at you live from Israel, the Holy Land, baby. I am so excited. It has been amazing. Uh, I don't have many words for it. I think I'm going to need to sit and ponder on this whole trip and experience before I really talk to you guys about what it's really meant to me and some of the more fundamental aspects of it. But I do have some fun facts and some interesting historical aspects and some some biblical and geographical and political that I will include for you guys. Now, tonight, I am actually, uh, I just got ready and now I'm recording. I didn't want to pre-record episodes and then post them while I was in Israel. I wanted to kind of report to you guys while I was here, and I thought it'd be a fun experience to add it into my day between events. But today, we were up in northern Israel. I saw the borders of Israel to Lebanon and between Israel and Syria. And so we got to look out into both places. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Then, where do we go? We went to Capernaum. That was breathtaking. And then now we're going to dinner on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Our hotel's on the Sea of Galilee right now. And uh, I am recording this a, a little bit ahead of when this episode will actually be posted. I still have to get it edited and scheduled to go out. So don't worry, you guys, I'm not giving away my my location. Uh, we are keeping it safe in that that respect. But I wanted to let you guys know these things because I know that we're all supposed to share our light. I am, you know, not somebody who got to grow up going next Sunday school or anything like that, or I didn't go to church when I was growing up either. But now I am, um, you know, a born again Christian. And so I'm trying to communicate that with you guys and, and share that with you because I think you help by setting examples for people and you help by sharing your personal stories. And so I'll try and share mine along the way as well, especially this Israel trip, because it's meant so much to me, especially since I've really dug into my faith in the last few years, and then um, I, pl- I plan on getting baptized soon, so rebaptized. So I'm pretty excited, but that's right. I'm in Israel. Uh, a few things apparently have happened in the country, so I'll, I'll quickly address those. To be honest, you guys, I have been fully immersed in this experience, and when I opened social media this morning and saw what I saw, I was flabbergasted. I mean, this is something that I will absolutely cover in more depth when I can learn more about it, Um, but I'm a little limited with my access to the internet and everything. And when I saw what was trending on on social media today, when I finally looked at it, I was shocked. It it said that 35 or so Trump-supporting officials or, or people on Team Trump or whoever they are have been raided by the FBI. I don't know. I don't know. I've got to think on this one. I've got to look more into the facts, and I promise I will talk about this more. But I just want you to know, kind of like how I shared with you guys about Biden's speech, where he declared in front of Independence Hall, Trump supporters were threats to democracy and to our rights and to, to our freedoms. When he did that, he crossed a line. 
Now, usually when someone acts like that or says a speech like that in front of such a momentous place, there's no going back. And what follows words like that is, let's just say, not some good actions. And we're seeing the follow-up to that speech take place. The FBI apparently raided 35 allies of President Trump. Now, what's crazy to me is looking at that, I'm surrounded by my political friends right now. We're here together on this, this trip through the Holy Land. And there's so much connection between government, between people and how they choose leaders, how leaders are put onto them, the biblical aspects, the historical aspects, the geopolitical aspects. So many lessons learned here on this trip. And to see what is happening over in America right now from abroad is just heart-wrenching because this is exactly what we should be expecting after the words and the threats from President Biden and his administration. Now, I see a lot of things on social media in response to this. And again, I haven't checked much, but I do want to say I'm seeing a lot of people that say, what the heck do we do? This is bigger than some election that will fix everything. I completely agree. I completely agree. So I hope that you guys start looking into it. I hope that you start having these hard conversations. And I will say one thing about this. We're a constitutional republic a, a rooted in federalism for a reason. Our founders understood that centralized power was dangerous and it would become dangerous over time. And so that's why you had, you know, the federalists and the anti-federalists arguing about how much power to give to the federal government. They came to their compromise. But what we see these days is a side of American politics that has no respect for the Constitution. They deal in leadership via litigation, suing each other, suing institutions, suing the government, suing private business, suing people over violations of the Civil Rights Act. They rule with fear, and they don't want you to make decisions for yourself. And they have changed how this country works. They aren't operating like our founders intended. And it seems like we've come to a crossroads of, well, what do you do in a situation like this? Like I said, we were made a constitutional republic for a reason, and that's because we're all supposed to keep watch of our own, our, our own communities, our own families, our own jurisdiction. So our, our states, our cities, communities, family units. And then the central government is supposed to be very tiny and small, but keep us all united as sovereign states. And we've lost that. We've lost respect for that concept. So when we see an issue as big as this from a centralized power, we go, oh no, what do we do? One of the most basic ways that we can analyze this is to say, what will deconstruct this disgusting centralized government? Well, one example is a state like Florida. You have the state of Florida reminding us how powerful federalism can be. When you have a governor of the state, a state legislature, local leaders, local sheriffs, because sheriffs are given certain jurisdiction and certain control to protect the constitutional rights of their people. They're often elected to represent their county and lead their county. Every person at a position lower than the federal government has an opportunity to check the power of the federal government and provide protection for you for your God-given rights that are supposed to be protected by government, but apparently are not anymore. They all have a special role in the keeping of the republic, just like we do as voters, as citizens. And so we need to have these conversations more often. Instead of saying, who's going to solve the big national problem? We should say, okay, what can we do 
to fortify and break apart, chip away at the federal government's massive power because I think it could tumble down. It's like a house of cards. And if we sweep the bottom and take out one card after another and check the power of the federal government with our checks and balances, with our separation of powers, with our not only that, but then when you look structurally with the state and local power versus the power of the federal government, and then on top of that, the power of the people versus the government, the power of the people versus the federal government specifically, there are ways to do this. It doesn't seem that intimidating when you break it down to these levels, but we've forgotten how important federalism truly is. So that's my lesson on that. Again, I've got to research more. I mean, we know this is coming. Buckle up, get your shoes on, Get your boots. If you're, it's like what military guys joke about, like, don't be in flip flops because it can happen at any time. Get your flip flops off, people. <laughs> but really, be prepared. And I hear a lot of people too. I am, I'm literally just skimming social media to catch up, and people are talking about how they're scared to bring kids into the world now after this. And I've got to say, we need to bring in more children into this world and raise them up correctly to face something like this, to face worse than this because it's only going to get worse. We're on a path for bad things right now because weak men create hard times. We're entering the hard times and our children, not even us, our children are going to bear the brunt of this, I feel. And we have to prepare them for that. We shouldn't say, oh, geez, let's hand over more power by not procreating. No, are you kidding me? That's the most special part of life. Don't let them scare you away from that. They love that. They're anti-family to the extreme. They would love to find out that their political power, the fear that they've put in your hearts, scared you away from extending your lineage from procreating don't let them do that okay i don't want to see another tweet like that got it well you guys i i have so much to share and i want to kind of transition but there's a couple more things that i want to mention right now it's it's early september right this episode's coming out on september 12th so that means yesterday was 9-11 we're over 20 years away from when 9-11 first happened And what I really wanted to do, this is a little personal, what I really wanted to do was interview my dad for a 9-11 episode. And there is a story about that that I want to share with you guys because my dad was there for the cleanup of 9-11. And I find personal stories so powerful. I mean, you guys, I, I run a nonprofit interviewing survivors from communist countries. So clearly I value storytelling and the documenting of personal stories, especially when it comes to preserving history resharing history to multiple generations after us so that they aren't just taught (laughs) this public school's version of things. And then also honoring the past, honoring the people that went through certain things. So my dad, he was in the New York Army National Guard and he retired just this year. I was at his retirement in, in Utah. Eventually he joined the reserves and retired from the reserves this year. And it was really special. But he was in the New York Army National Guard And when 9-11 happened, him and his guys got called down to the scene of 9-11. And if you guys have seen my workshop videos, a lot of you send me messages of why is there a deer mount in your workshop, first of all? Does it get dusty? Yes, we pull it down and we use one of those like hand vacuums on it all the time and it's coated. But we have a better vacuum system in the shop now to clean the air. So that's a whole other topic. But you ask, why do I have a deer mount in the shop? And why is it wearing an American flag as a construction hat? And this is where that story really comes together. My dad, when him and his guys were going down the day after 9-11 to start the cleanup and start that search process, they stopped at a gas station along the way because we were in upstate New York. That's where I'm from, Saratoga Battlefield. 
and they were heading downstate. So they're in upstate New York and they're driving down. They stop at a gas station and they see construction workers and the construction workers asked where they were going. And these construction workers that asked where they were going, they were wearing these American flag construction hard hats. And when they were told that my dad and his soldiers were going down to the 9-11 cleanup just right after that moment, um, they all gave their American flag hard hats to the soldiers to take down with them. And so my dad still has his and it hangs in our Zegger's Freedom Flags workshop, which you guys can get a Zegger's Freedom Flag, by the way, or any leather, handmade leather goods. Oh, oh, even a We the People key tag. We're getting some other goods in soon, so stay tuned. But you can use code FREEDOM for that, by the way, for free shipping. But in that Zegger's Freedom Flag workshop, we have the deer head with the American flag hard hat for construction that my dad got when he was heading down to the scene of 9-11. So it's a sweet story that I grew up hearing from my dad. And I really wanted to get that full story from him in a podcast. Um, Unfortunately, he just had surgery on his throat. He has um, a form of cancer that we're getting rid of. Okay, we're getting rid of it, folks. But um, he has that. He just had surgery. Thank goodness, Boston Hospital. It was really, really wonderful for that. So shout out to them. And uh, he's recovering from that. So I'm not going to make him talk about it straight for half an hour. He doesn't like to talk for too long right now. But when he is better, you guys, we're going to sit him down and we're going to ask him a lot of questions. I want to ask him about his military experience and, of course, um, his experience down at the 9-11 scene, including the hard hat story. Um, With that being said, I want to get into some topics regarding what I'm experiencing here in Israel. I couldn't possibly tell you all of the things, but I figured I could start out just kind of going day by day and uh, squeezing it in here and there to really help educate you guys on the information that I'm learning because this is an educational trip for me and I want you guys to hear as much as I'm hearing and as much as I'm experiencing and really take that into your own lives as well. But before we do that, you guys, my pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. And now Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. The Percale and Giza Dream Bed Sheet Sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code MORGAN. Okay, you guys, I love these sheets. I have them on my own bed. I just moved into a new place, so it's been really nice to have them. But you guys can order yours now. When they're gone, they're gone, and it's a big sale. Okay, so this is a good price. The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Do not miss out on this incredible offer. There is a limited supply, so be sure to order now. You can call 1-800-738-8374 and use the promo code MORGAN. Or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listeners square and use promo code Morgan. Again, you guys, I like the sheets. I use the sheets. I'm just plain cream and white, but I also love the slippers. Okay. I wear the slippers all around my home. Now, you guys, I want to talk to you a little bit about Israel for the rest of the show. And to really explain why I'm here, Turning Point USA, if you guys aren't familiar with them, they're a great student organization. They started out as a campus club organization for students on college campuses, conservative, pro-free market, pro-economic freedom, and the values that uh, our nation was founded on and hopefully will continue to stand on if we just get through these pickles that we're in right now, right? So they provide basically a source of camaraderie is how I describe it for students. Like I went to American University where it was 90% liberal. The student body was very, very slanted. And so there's very few numbers 
of Republicans or conservatives or people just on the right or even libertarians putting the libertarians and conservatives together still gave you a small little pool of fish. That being said, I always think back to how much perhaps bolder I would have been if I knew that I had a community of people that thought like me and had a strong presence on campus and got together every week and, and kind of talked about ideas and values and what was happening on campus because I was on the number one most politically active campus in the country. And that really is a core purpose of Turning Point USA is to provide these students who are on a very hostile campuses, uh, basically a team, a community where they can have friends. And then those friends, what's really great is as the organization has developed, it's been almost, I think, officially 10 years now, as it's developed, the students that were originally in these clubs, they've now become young adults, young professionals, and just have gone out into their careers. And they've been able to rely on the these sources and friendships from Turning Point when they were in college. And so it's really great if you have any college students out there in your life, or if you're a college student, I really encourage you to consider joining. It doesn't take much. You just go to the monthly meetings. You have speakers come to your campus. There's a bunch of really cool things that you can do. And I would have done it if I were in college had I known and had I had the opportunity. So I'm just thankful to be a part of it now. Now, what's really, really important to the fundamentals of America, when we talk about Turning Point being a nonprofit dedicated to educating and bringing students together around these core topics, around American values and economic independence, what's fundamental to these things are the Western Judeo-Christian values that our nation and many nations of the West were founded on, built on, and, and thrive on compared to the East. When we talk about the biblical, geographical, historical, and many, many other factors, the, the many levels of significance of Israel, the Holy Land, not just to Judaism, to the Jews, but to Christianity, it is highly important that as Christians in America, we take up the mantle, we carry the torch for protecting the Holy Land and preserving it for what it should be. There's a lot of misinformation going out there about Palestine versus Israel, and I have learned so much. I knew the basics, but when you're able to see, when you're able to see and meet the people, even just today I was meeting members of the IDF. I was just this morning in the northern part of Israel, where the last conflict, I believe, was in 1973. I was just there looking over the border of Israel into Syria and then looking over the other direction. I turned around. I was looking over the border between Israel and Lebanon right at an outpost for Hezbollah, which I'm not going to explain this very well, but basically the government of Lebanon is very weak. Hezbollah is funded basically put in there by Iran. Iran is supporting Hezbollah and basically controlling that entire area of, of southern Lebanon. And I'm looking literally right across the valley at the hill across the valley from me, and it is a Hezbollah outpost. Now, the, the kind of geopolitical issues that were just right in front of my face while I was touring today was fantastic to see. I mean, it was just, I was in awe because this whole trip has been amazing. But to be able to see it up front, first of all, one of the big things that caught my attention was hearing the stories of the soldiers from the IDF explain what it's like. Because the soldiers of the IDF are drafted in when they turn 18, after they graduate high school. 
So you graduate high school, you're about 18, and then until the time you're about 20, you serve in the Israeli military. Everybody does it, the men and the women. Now, you can get a desk job, yes, after you go through basic training, but many of them become soldiers that could potentially see conflict, and every citizen, Israeli citizen, that's a Jew, is drafted in. The, the Arab citizens in Israel are not drafted, but the boys that do get drafted are there for three years at least. The girls are there for two years, and they, are, they look so young. I mean, I'm 25, and just looking at them, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it's crazy to see. Now, when you ask them, where are you from? It's not like you're seeing an American soldier who could be put on any base around the United States or across the world, or they're serving actively in the Middle East in a war zone, and they could tell you, oh, I'm from one of the 50 states. No, when you, when you ask a soldier in the IDF, where are you from? He'll probably say something like, oh, three miles over that hill over there. When they join the military, they do it and they fully know that any day, the state of their nation and their future, their family's future is at risk. The state of Israel that they know and love could disappear if their enemies chose to attack them in some surprise. Now, I'll get into more detail in future episodes to really talk to you guys about these issues and make a lot of the comparisons that were made to America's veterans, America's military, and the issues we face in terms of morale, especially with the Joe Biden administration. But the last thing I'll say about this before we move on is the enemies of Israel understand that by invading on foot or with tanks, invading on the ground is not going to work when you're attacking Israel because they're too strong. They are too organized, and the citizens are prepared to defend their nation on the drop of a dime. I believe it's like within four hours, the reserves are ready to go. And so instead, there's a big bombing issue. They attack by air. But what I want to talk to you guys about for the last half of the episode is about some of the first experiences I had when I got to Israel, and then some of the important historic moments that I was able to connect and see in person. So first of all, I fly into Tel Aviv, and first thing is that everybody's beautiful and, and in very good shape. Now, I my hypothesis is because of the military experience that's required, it sets these young adults up when they're 18 and 20, and to be honest, they're prepping to join from a very early age. Apparently, starting at 16, the government of Israel is monitoring the young kids and trying to analyze their character, their personality, their physical fitness, and, and picking where they would best be able to serve in the military when they turn 18 and graduate high school. So I think because of this mentality that they always have to be able to defend their homeland and that they will actually be physically put in the military for a certain period of time, that sets a standard mentally. But then also the years when you're in that developmental phase, turning from an older student in high school to a young adult, that is really a, a formative time. And if you set up a proper routine of working out, of taking care of your body, of being physically, mentally fit, I think that sets you off on a great track. And I say looking at America these days, we have the complete opposite. My favorite was I just saw a meme that said <laughs> our ancestors were conquering lands, eating just porridge while we can barely survive a day without hitting a jewel five million times. And we'll freak out if we can't find the jewel pot or whatever it's called. So that was an interesting comparison that I saw. But the other thing is if you order an iced coffee here, it means you'll receive a coffee slushy. Okay? 
the fact that we don't have coffee slushies in America is kind of bewildering to me. And I can't believe they haven't brought this concept to the United States. If you want an iced coffee like you would get in America, then you have to order a cold coffee. Fascinating, right? So those are the two initial things that I just randomly noticed. But the first place that I really actually went to was Jaffa. It's an ancient city, and I don't want to do Jaffa a disservice. So I'm going to read you guys a little history on it, and then we'll talk about it. But many important things from the Bible, from the New Testament especially, happened in this city, and I got to walk through it. So this is from Got Questions, and a lot of you guys ask how I get my information. A really good source for you, by the way, is gotquestions.com. And it basically answers any questions you have about Christianity. For me, I've been having that app open, not app, the the website open on my phone as I go throughout Israel so that I can look up where in the Bible does it reference this city or uh, this area that I'm in or this concept, and then it'll immediately pop up all the Bible verses. So it also does other things like explain the significance of locations, and I found the explanation of Jaffa here. And I'm also going to accidentally make it very Americanized when I say the word, but I I think it's more of like a Jaffa and I'm going to accidentally call it Jaffa. Just warning you. We're going to try, though. Um, but gotquestions.com says, Jaffa, known during biblical times as Joppa, J-O-P-P-A, is a Mediterranean port city in Israel, about 34 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So that's it. I just want to cut in here again. Look, at I'm going to cut in a lot. Israel is very, very tiny, smaller than New Jersey, you guys. And so one of the things when I'm reading the gospel, and I'm reading Matthew, right? And I hear that Jesus goes from Nazareth to Capernaum to uh, Jerusalem, and, and he's going back and forth to all these places. He goes around the Sea of Galilee. And first of all, you're like, he goes around the sea? That's a lot of places. That must be a lot of traveling. When you hear him go from place to place, it seems like, oh, it must be this huge journey. But in reality, these are just miles, like handful of miles, maybe, from place to place. And then, you guys, I get to the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. It's a lake. It's not a sea. It's a lake. And you can literally just look across and see the other side of the lake. Now, that comes to be very important when you hear about the history from like the war that happened in 1948, where Israel's really established and then it's attacked on all sides by its Arab enemies. But Israel really fought hard to make sure that the other side of the Sea of Galilee was no longer controlled by Jordan. Because literally, just look, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking into the Sea of Galilee and I can look across and I could. I mean, you could probably swim that. I mean, I'm actually a bad swimmer, but pretty healthy swimmer could just swim across this lake. But it's called the Sea of Galilee. And our our tour guide, David, said that pretty much everything in the Holy Land is made to be a little bit bigger when the stories are told. So mountains are more like hills. I'll just warn you with that. So getting back to the story, Jaffa is actually only 34 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And on a map, you're like, oh, geez, those look really far apart, but they're actually quite close. So Back to it. Got Question says, The city of Jaffa now forms the southern section of modern Tel Aviv. The city's Hebrew name means beautiful. Jaffa is mentioned throughout scripture and was the site of many significant biblical events. You guys, this gets cool, okay? Jaffa or Jopa is first mentioned in the book of Joshua during the conquest of the promised land. The allotment for the tribe of Dan included the coastal city of Jaffa in Joshua 1946. And Jaffa was not occupied by Israel until the reigns of David and Solomon. 
So now it says, when Solomon began to build the temple and his palace, he used the cedars of Lebanon as lumber for construction. The cedar logs were shipped, get this, to Jaffa. And that's in 1 Kings 5.6 and 2 Chronicles 2.16. When the Israelites were rebuilding the temple after their return from the Babylon exile, they again requested lumber from Lebanon to be shipped to them by the way of Jaffa. And that's in Ezra 3.7. Notoriously, the prophet Jonah ran away from the Lord and boarded a ship at Jaffa's port. Remember this, you guys, the whale story, the big fish story? Jonah intended to head in the direction of Tarshish in Spain, which is in Jonah 1.3. Tarshish was in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go, but he went anyways. And it says, despite Jonah's disobedience and sailing the wrong direction from Jaffa, he ended up right where God wanted him as God intervened and set the reluctant prophet on the correct course. Now that's in Jonah 1, 16 through 1, 17. So you guys, this is when he goes and gets swallowed by a whale, but some people say it's more of like a big fish for three days and three nights until God commands the fish to let him go when Jonah fixed his internal problems. Okay, that's the Morganized version you got there. But now moving on to the New Testament. This was amazing. In the New Testament, and keep in mind, I got to go right to the front door of this stuff. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter spends a significant amount of time in Jaffa. So just to read from Acts, you guys, this is 940 through 42. But Peter kneeled down and prayed, and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So that was that. Now let's move on to one of the biggest moments when we are talking about the early stages of Christianity. GotQuestions.com says, While staying with Simon the Tanner in Jaffa, Peter received a vision from the Lord commanding him to eat all kinds of food and declaring all foods to be clean. This is in Acts 10, 10 through 16. The Lord's command to Peter to, quote, not call anything impure that God has made clean, end quote, shows a very important thing. Salvation in Christ was extended to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. Immediately following the vision, Peter was able to see God's impartiality regarding salvation when he preached the gospel to the Gentile centurion Cornelius, who believed. Later, when Peter gave his report to the believers in Jerusalem about his experience in Jaffa, they marveled that God had granted salvation not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. St. Paul was jailed also in a building in Jaffa before being released to Rome to stand trial. Now, this was really, really cool. So we went through a tour. We saw St. Peter's Church, St. Peter's Monastery, and I'll tell you about that in a little bit. So this is really cool. This was a port city, keep in mind. So we did a tour of all these stairs, and there's these winding, small city walkways between these high-stacked buildings on the side of this. It wasn't a cliff, right? But it was a very steep slant right as the land meets the water. And we walk from place to place. We're able to see the houses. Turns out people live there, pay millions of dollars to live in these old residences. It's very expensive, but it was very beautiful. And then all of a sudden we walk up to a door. And on the door, it looks like every other door there. But in this, I don't know how to describe it. It looks like someone took their finger, dipped it in fresh black paint, maybe like last week, And then in their finger wrote Simon the Tanner's house. (laughs) And I'm looking at it like, well, what is this? Because it just looks so 
nonchalant. Like, why was it haphazardly written with this black text with someone's finger on top of the door? It's not even centered. It, it just looks a little strange, and it wasn't clicking to me where this really was. And so we got to explain it. What's funny is as the tour guide is ex- explaining it to us, the guy inside actually opens the door and we were able to kind of peek in and see the actual inside of this building, which was really amazing. So this was a really big moment for Simon, Peter, and moving from that, that is why St. Peter's Church was built, St. Peter's Monastery in Jaffa. And so just so you guys know, one of the most prominent buildings in Jaffa is St. Peter's Church slash, you know, St. Peter's Monastery. It is cream painted. It's Franciscan. It was built in about the 1890s on the ruins of the Crusader Citadel and is still used as a place of worship. So when I walked by it, everybody was kind of going to the bathroom, the little tour group. And so I just like meandered away from the tour group when I had a moment and I walked in and it was just beautiful and I got to pray and it was just very, very peaceful. So I was so glad about that, right? Now, I'm going to tell you a story about this because it's kind of funny, kind of freaky. But the last thing I want to say about Jaffa in general is I love the history of areas. I love the different cultures. I respect other religions. I myself am proud to be a Christian and I'm rooted in Christ. But I still love some history, right? And so I also found out that Jaffa has a place in Greek mythology because you guys were right on the Mediterranean. And so TelAviv.com actually said something about it. It says, according to legend, it was on the rock off of Jaffa's shore that the beautiful Andromeda was chained by Poseidon, Poseidon but was subsequently rescued by Perseus. Andromeda's rock can still be seen in the old Jaffa port, as well as a bronze statue of this lovely Greek maiden. So I love to add that in. To me, I'm here to walk where Jesus walked, but seeing the connection of the different cultures is amazing. And and a little bit after this, you guys, in future episodes, I'm going to tell you all about another trip that we went to, to Megiddo. And it's the site of the first ever human battle that's documented, at least. And it's documented in Egypt, in very ancient text. But God also says in the New Testament that we will have the last battle on that same valley. The Napoleons fought on that valley. Great conquerors have fought on that valley. Thousands and thousands of years of battles with the biggest names in human history have happened on that same valley. And it's from Megiddo where you look out across the valley, the Valley of Armageddon, and you are able to look across the valley and guess what you see? Nazareth, where Jesus is from. So it connects and it connects and it connects. But what's really interesting there, kind of tying in that, that historic aspect is this is where everybody fought. And why did they fight there? Because it was such a valuable location. And so I'm going to tell you guys about this in the future, but that area is the crossroads between three continents, Asia, Europe, and Africa. And so no wonder they would want to fight for that, right? There's not a lot of roads back then. This was a very, very important crossroads between the road that would lead to Asia and the road that went north to Europe and south to Egypt. So with that being said, I want to go back to what I was kind of telling you guys earlier about St. Peter's Church and the monastery and the fact that I was just walking around old Jaffa, ancient Jaffa, on the southern end of Tel Aviv with my friends on this tour group. And all of a sudden, we get notified a little bit later in the day after we left the area that a man had been arrested 
in South Tel Aviv in ancient Jaffa carrying weapons. And he had an intention that was not very good. So I-24 News, and you guys keep in mind, we're all just walking around. I was praying in the church. We were filming. We were recording what was going on. We were filming educational clips while we were there. We were getting a tour. We spent a good amount of time there. And then we left. And I remember walking away with my little iced coffee, and it was delicious, my coffee slushy. And the I-24 News article says, a Palestinian man carrying weapons was arrested in Jaffa, South Tel Aviv, Israel police reported on Thursday. Tel Aviv District Police identified a man in Jaffa who raised their suspicions, and upon examination, it was determined that he was an illegal resident possessing a Carlos submachine gun and two pipe bombs, the police spokesperson said. The suspect from the West Bank was arrested near the clock square in Jaffa and taken to a police station for questioning. He confessed to planning to carry out a terrorist attack in the center of Tel Aviv later Thursday night, According to police officials, the suspect was previously arrested last May carrying a knife near the Temple Mount in the old city of Jerusalem. Some reports also suggested that there were two suspects with the other one still on the move. The traffic was blocked in the Jaffa area due to the police activities. Whew. So me and my friend Christine had scootered back to Jaffa as this news was breaking. And we, uh, to be honest, we decided to grab a glass of wine outside of Jaffa instead and scooter on back <laughs> because it was getting dark and we just weren't in the mood to get in any any issues. But Israel has been an incredibly safe experience. From Jaffa, we went to many, many places the next day, and I'll tell you guys about that another time. But I will say tonight, we're staying for one more day on the Sea of Galilee. Tomorrow, we head to Jerusalem. And I'm excited to just keep learning. So I hope you guys have a great day. Have a good week. Happy Monday. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate it. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.